Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Well, Exodus 20, and uh, I want to read just the one commandment that we're going to deal with today. It is verse 14, and Exodus 20, I think it's known to all of us. Verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. And so, Lord, as we do turn to this commandment today, do pray that you would give us much wisdom, and Lord, not just knowledge But as we go forward, always praying, Lord, for your enabling by your spirit, the strengthening, Lord, of your uh, promises and your word to us, an understanding of some of the struggles that we face, but, Lord, also knowing that you are our strength and portion. And, Lord, even beyond the issue before us this morning, there are those in particular need that we do want to be aware of this morning. Do pray for Sari, Veltachen. And commend her to you in hospital and pray that your gracious hand be upon her. Also just aware of Yvette this morning, we do commend her to you and and continue to pray day by day that she would know, Lord, uh, your presence with her. Praying also, Lord, that you would touch her body in this affliction that she suffers. And then as we also, Lord, remember Rodney and Connie as as they move. Uh, finding uh, another community, another place of worship, another season in their lives to bless them. We thank you for them and, Lord, for their partnership with us over these many, many years. And then again, Lord, as we turn to this word, we do know that uh, we have an enemy and that there are many struggles and temptations that we face. And so lead us this morning. Help me in speaking to this subject this morning. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and even the reception in our hearts, the meditation in our hearts be acceptable in your sight, we pray. Amen. I thought I'd introduce uh, the message this morning, thinking back to when I was a college student, spending four years at the Baptist Theological College, finally getting to the end of that season. And one of the final classes, the, the, the then principal, some of you will remember Rex Matthew, he announced that he had a book gift to give to us final year students. Well, my immediate thought was he was about to give us a systematic theology. I mean, after all, we are going into the ministry. Uh, we're going to need resources of good sound doctrine. And so I was expecting to get this thick volume of systematic theology that we could use in the coming years in pastoral ministry. Well, to my surprise, he handed us a book by an author that I'd never heard of and on a topic that I haven't given much thought to. The title of the book was The Snare by Lois Moday. Well, the principal added a few comments saying that the book gift to us is because of one of the biggest challenges that we will face in Christian ministry in that of falling into the trap of sexual immorality. That was his biggest concern. I believe our principal back then understood 
And he warned us, novice men of the cloth, against falling into sexual sin. And doing that, knowing that that kind of sin comes with all sorts of devastating consequences. Hurting the body of Christ, the local church. Grieving the spirit of God. And of course, wrecking our marriages and families. But I do need to say that the focus is not just on us as ministers of the gospel this morning, because sexual infidelity is not restricted to us who stand in pulpits. The problem is widespread amongst, amongst men and women inside the church and also outside the church. It's not just restricted to people we consider to be uh, unbelievers or not Christians. One article I read this week suggested that on any given Sunday, in any gathered congregation, there would be more than one person involved in sexual indiscretion. I don't know about the hill, which may be true, but that aside, I do think, I do believe, I'm convinced, there is not a single person that does not at some time struggle, struggle, at least in some measure, With sexual temptation. Bringing us to this next commandment. Verse 14. I'll read it again. You shall not commit adultery. So thinking about this topic. Not just this week. But over the years in ministry. Thinking about it. And and the place that it has in our lives as Christians. I have come to the conclusion. There's a message that. Uh, has really been born out of experience over years in the ministry. The problem in most instances is because of what I would call the blurring of the lines between three aspects of sex. And the three aspects are used in the title of my message this morning. There's confusion between love, lust, and desire. So I'm going to try and tackle that. This morning. Now, this, this message could be a series of many messages. I've only taken a particular uh, tack on, on this particular message. But my first point this morning in seeking to clarify these three uh, aspects of sex is your sexual desires are legitimate. I want to encourage Christian people this morning. Your sexual desires are legitimate. Now we need to look back a little bit in church history. And I found this very interesting that the church and its leaders looking back in history has not always got it right when it came to sex. At times, even regarding sex within marriage as a necessary evil. Let me quote Philip Riken. is a... Old Testament commentator, theologian, and he says, Tertullian, now some of you will remember Tertullian, he gave us the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. Tertullian regarded the extinction of the human race as preferable to procreation. Theologians among us will know of Ambrose, another one of the church leaders. He said that married couples ought to be ashamed of their sexuality. Augustine, now Augustine Church father, accepted by most believers today. Augustine was willing to admit that intercourse might be lawful, but taught that sexual passion was always a sin. And it gets worse. 
It gets worse. I'm so glad we're not living in these days. Uh, many, many priests counseled couples to abstain from sex altogether. The Catholic Church gradually began to prohibit sex on certain holy days. By the time of Martin Luther, the list had grown to 183 days. Well, with the return to the Bible, that was during the Reformation and after the Reformation, there was a move to restore sexual sanity by celebrating the physical act of lovemaking within the context of marriage. So we not only regained, as it were, the gospel in terms of justification by faith, we, we regained, or much of the church regained, a, a biblical understanding of our sexuality and expression of that sexuality. So the father of Philip uh, Riken, Leland Riken, uh, he quotes, he says, The Puritans devalued celibacy. Man, they said, get married. It's good. They glorified, and this was a new word to me, a companionate marriage. Good friends, you know, coming together as husband and wife. They confirmed married sex is both necessary and pure. They established the ideas of wedded romantic love and exalted the role of the wife. In other words, the Puritans brought back the reality of a more biblical view of human sexuality. And so again, I go back to my uh, reinforcing that your sexual desires are legitimate. And I want to elaborate on that. Sex is a gift from God for procreation. So the physical union between a husband and a wife was God's idea. It's not man's idea. It's not a social construct. It's God's idea in the first place. God told Adam, you go back to Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, to cleave to his wife so they could be fruitful and multiply. In other words, they were to have babies. That's what it means to be fruitful and multiply. Now, thinking about that process, them then cleaving to each other and them having uh, babies surely required, it did require, that there be a mutual desire for each other. Adam, by design, was attracted to Eve. He liked what he saw. There's nothing wrong with that. God's design. And Eve... Uh, Eve, by design, by design, found Adam appealing. In other words, there was something going on inside of her. Her hormones were pumping. Could, could we say that? There, there was an attraction to each other legitimately, stimulated to a place of physical intimacy. And, of course, the generations that followed are proof that this design worked for them, and it still continues to work for uh, generations today. So that's number one. Uh, sex is a gift from God for procreation. But I want to take it a little bit further. Uh, sex is a gift from God for pleasure. Now, some Christians are awkward about speaking about this, but we do need to take our cue and our understanding from what the scriptures have to say. So if you read the Old Testament book of Song of Songs, and perhaps it would be a good idea to go home today and read this book, uh, Song of Songs certainly leaves no doubt, it can leave no doubt in your mind regarding the aspect of actually enjoying sex. Yes, within the context of marriage, even 
when babies are not the goal. Let me give you some, just two scriptures. I could quote the whole book, but I'm not going to do that. Song of Songs, chapter 1, verse 2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Verse 4, draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. There's a delight. There's a pleasure. There's enjoyment. The response uh, of, of, of the spouse in this instance, the, the beloved. Verse 15, behold, you're beautiful, my love. Behold, you're beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Behold, you're beautiful, my beloved. Truly delightful. Our couch is green. There's a message that, yes, sex is a gift from God for pleasure. I do want to say today that God's word is not in any way pornographic when you read the book of Song of Songs, but it is unashamedly erotic. God's word celebrates the the sexual act of love. But always in the exclusive context of marriage. Proverbs chapter 5 verse 15. Again, uh, the wisdom of God coming forth uh, about the exclusive nature of, 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 of enjoying sex in the context of marriage. Drink water from your own cistern. Stick with your spouse, in other words. Flowing from water uh, from your own well. Should springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? In other words, should be should be you be fishing outside of the home? No, no. Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely dear, a graceful doe. Uh, let her breasts fill you with uh, at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. That's the scriptural message. We don't need to see this as taboo. There are those, and yes, uh, still perhaps even today, those who view sex simply as utilitarian. In other words, intercourse only for procreation, the propagation of the human race. But the biblical view is that sex is not merely procreational. Of course that's important. That is vital. But it's also relational. And it's also recreational. Why then do we need the seventh commandment? You must not commit adultery. Which leads me to my second point this morning. Your sexual desires are unreliable. Really have to think through this and understand this very clearly. We had a children's talk this morning. I said to Jamie last night, I would have wanted someone to speak about a faulty compass. Pick up a faulty compass if there are any boys and girls in the service. And, 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 and we know that a faulty compass cannot be depended on to take you to your stipulated destination. You want to go north. If this, if this compass is only pointing east when it should be pointing north, you're going to get lost and you're going to be in trouble. So we need to be thinking like that. Your desires, like a faulty compass, cannot be trusted. Cannot rely on your desires to keep you from falling into this snare, this sexual trap. James in the New Testament warns some of the scattered believers of the fatal danger of following the inclination of their unreliable desires. Chapter 1 verse 14, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth 
death. Now, folks, I want to pause there for a minute because in 2022, uh, most arguments regarding sexual activity and alternative sexual so-called preferences and identities relates to, it's what I feel. It's what I feel. And we need to see from the biblical perspective that you cannot depend on what you feel. There's something more needed. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and I've quoted this this, uh, quotation many times because I've not read anything else that is so descriptive and so accurate when when it comes to temptation and sin. And this is what he says. He says, with irresistible power, desire seizes mastery over the flesh. It makes no difference whether it's sexual abuse or ambition or vanity or de- desire for revenge or love, fame and power or greed for money. Listen to this. Joy, is, joy in God is extinguished in us and we seek all our joy in the creature in that moment. At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality. And only desire for the creature is real. Satan does not here fill us with hatred for God, but for forgetfulness of God. The lust thus aroused envelops the mind and the will of man in deepest darkness. The powers of clear discrimination and of decision are taken away from us, and we make stupid decisions. Why does that happen? Why is it so important for us to understand each and every day that we cannot rely and trust our desires? Desires cannot be trusted, number one, because you suffer, as I do, with inner corruption. Jeremiah described the heart, chapter 17, verse 9, deceitful above all things and desperately sick. In response to the common thinking of the day, this is now in the time of Jesus, the common thinking that certain foods defile a person. In other words, don't eat pork chops or whatever the case may be. Jesus set their thinking straight and, and, and making the same point as Jeremiah. Whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him. This is Mark chapter 7. But rather, for from within... Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, and adultery. Not just in the life of the unbeliever, but those of us who are believers, those of us who can even look back and identify a particular day when we became a new creature in Christ, we know that we are still not perfect. We still suffer. We still suffer with the remaining marks of sin. And so every one of us, we hold ourselves up as righteous and perfect. You're not. You're going to struggle with temptation. Each one of us believers at times still struggle with attraction to sin. And this morning we're talking about sexual sin. And sexual sin is very powerful. It's, it's very prevalent in our society. It's, it's, it's almost a, uh, something that is uh, upon us constantly. 
And it is because of the remaining marks of sin. Just a, a, a verse uh, from Galatians chapter 5 where Paul addresses the struggle. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He's, he's saying to us, there's a struggle within. There's a battle that you have to fight. And there's a way that you need to walk. Because if you don't walk in that way, you're going to lose the fight. So you suffer with inner corruption. But it gets worse. You are subject to utter contamination. The world you live in, as much as we would like to think not the case, but the world you live in is not neutral toward God. Blatantly opposed to God. The world has an agenda of darkness. It has an agenda of rebellion toward God. And the world promotes evil and not good. Today we would certainly conclude as we look around that the world's godless agenda has gone viral. In the context of this worldwide antichrist pandemic, dear friends, it's hard for us, for you and me, to escape the contamination that has been dumped. Perhaps I should even say bombarded on you. Just stop and think for a minute all that you're exposed to day in and day out. TikTok. Young people, be careful. It will influence you. It will contaminate your thinking. And older people, it's probably Facebook. It might be YouTube. It might be the streaming Multiple options that we have on streaming. Netflix and Prime Media and BritBox and what else is there? Um, uh, Showmax and DSTV. Now, I'm not opposed to television. That's not the point. But the point is there's so much there that, that will come through and condition your mind to think opposite to that which is pleasing to God. And it should be no surprise to us that the general tendency today is for people, fewer people to be getting married. There are far more people living together. You found that in the context of your family? Living together and shacking up and, and it doesn't work and then another partner is found and, and there's a shacking up and, and that doesn't work and there's another partner and there's shacking up or, or, or there's sleeping around and there's adultery which this thing is addressed. And where do you think this whole LGBTQAI comes from? It's contamination from the world. People following desires that are corrupt. 1 John chapter 2 verse 16, for all that is in the world, and he's speaking of the world uh, governed by Satan, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride in possessions. It's not from the Father. It's from the world. It gets worse. There's another reason. You're susceptible to the enemy's schemes. Each one of these could be a sermon on their own, but just to mention briefly, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11. You need the armor of God as a believer. Why do you need the armor of God? So you can stand up against the devil's schemes. And the devil has schemes to destroy you. 
1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8, he wants to destroy your soul. He wants to rob you of your faith. He wants you to turn your back on God. Be sober-minded, Peter says. Be watchful. Don't be sleeping. Your, your adversary is the enemy. The adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So far, can you see, and, and much more can be said, but can you see why your desires cannot be trusted? They cannot, uh, they are not reliable. They cannot be your only guide in your sex life. Feelings must and need to be subject and governed by God's word. It's the only reliable compass we've got. And particularly in this instance, you shall not commit adultery. Which leads me to my third point. Your sexual desires are for marriage. Adultery in all its forms is forbidden by God. Another important thing that we need to see, not because God is a killjoy. That, you know, God is some kind of prude, I think would be the word. No, that, that's not the issue. Not because sex is bad, but because sex is designed to be a powerful force for good. I'm going to try and convince you of that in the next couple of minutes. Number one, sexual intimacy seals the bond of matrimony, of marriage. I've borrowed this illustration, but I think it's brilliant. Sex is like superglue. Just think about superglue, getting that on your fingers. Okay, superglue. It finalizes, it seals the union between a man and a woman in a lifelong, unique, and exclusively loyal relationship with each other. Tim Keller used the word, sex is like the covenant cement that holds a marriage secure. It's one of the reasons Paul speaks to the ongoing loving, mutual obligation that husbands and wives have to each other. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 3, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. Do not deprive one another except by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, and then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And so, so that ought to be explored. There is this coming together. There is this bonding. There is this, what the Bible calls one flesh union. And I want to explore that one flesh union for a, a minute, uh, spoken of repeatedly, but Matthew chapter 19 verse 5, this one flesh union is not just a physical coming together. It's emotional. It's experiential. It's spiritual. It's all of who you are as a husband and a wife. It goes beyond mere physical experience. And so sexual union is a joining together in the total commitment of a husband to a wife and a wife to a husband. Whenever people try to Isolate the pleasures of sex. In other words, just being a physical, biological impulse. They always end up harming themselves and others. Again, let me quote Philip Riken. He says, since sex is like superglue, squeezing it out at the wrong time or in the wrong place 
always creates an awful mess. The wrong things get joined together and getting them unstuck again tears at the soul. I want to read that again because it's so important. Since sex is like the super glue, squeezing it out at the wrong time in the wrong place always creates an awful mess. The wrong things get joined together and getting them unstuck again tears at the soul. Therefore, do not commit adultery. Number two, sexual intimacy spends, uh, sends a spiritual message. The union between a husband and wife is intended to illustrate the exclusive relationship between God and his people. We see this in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God often compared his relationship with Israel, with his people, to, to the romance between a husband and a wife. When his people were unfaithful, when they broke their covenant with him, they were guilty of committing spiritual adultery. And you can see that repeatedly. Jeremiah chapter 3, Hosea, Malachi chapter 2. The New Testament. The New Testament takes it even further and deepens the, the mystery of, of, of by defining marriage in terms of our relationship with Jesus. Paul starts this explanation in Ephesians by quoting from Genesis, chapter 5, verse 31 of Ephesians. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So there's, there's the Old Testament truth revealed. Then he goes on. He says, this mystery is profound. It boggles the mind. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. See why sex is not just something dirty? Why it's not a taboo, but in its right place? The union between a husband and a wife is a picture of this mysterious union between Christ and the church. So I want to extract some uh, application uh, from that statement or from that truth. Three pictures that I want to, to touch on. This picture clarifies the meaning of love and distinguishes it from lust. I often thought to myself, how do you distinguish between those two uh, realities? Well, I'll give you a short answer here today. From what I understand about Jesus and his love for the church and our union in and uh, in, in, in our union with him, love, therefore, is giving for the good of another. Love is selflessly loyal. Why? Ephesians 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. I've discovered, I've discovered in, in my course of counseling that a marriage can be transformed when there is a change in mindset. Many people enter into marriage thinking they want to get. It's time to get. It's, it's time to receive. Uh, are, are my uh, uh, expectations going to be satisfied? Are, are my desires going to be fulfilled? Just change your attitude. And the mindset is, how can I satisfy the expectations of my spouse? How can I satisfy the desires of my wife or my husband? What is it that pleases them, him, her? Change in mindset. That's, that's love, you see. 
Jesus loved the church. Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? He gave himself. He gave himself. He was selfless. It wasn't all about me, number one. What is lust? <laughs> lust is always about self-gratification. Loyalty to self as seen in the unfolding of David's life. Again, there's a whole sermon we could preach on David in Second Samuel when he was parading on the top of the roofs looking out and he happened to see Bathsheba uh, bathing down yonder. And what happened? Consumed with lust. Corrupted desire. It was about receiving. It wasn't about giving. It was about, it, it was about himself. It wasn't about loyalty. And he went, we know the story so well, he destroyed Bathsheba's marriage, and he even went so far as to have the husband Uriah killed. Is it lust, or is it love? The picture also shows that every act of sexual immorality is a kind of spiritual desecration. Don't remove your understanding of sexual indiscretion from God and who he is and his relationship to us as people. Sexual immorality is always an offense to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 13. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, because we are in union with Christ and the Lord for the body. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. For Christians, therefore, to have sex with someone who is not a spouse is to violate the holiness of that union with Christ. The converse is true. Motivation, inspiration to, for loyalty in your marriage. When you show your covenant loyalty to God, or you will show your covenant loyalty to God by maintaining your sexual fidelity to your spouse. And young people, your future spouse. Therefore, you shall not commit adultery. One last comment. The picture points to good news. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her is the good news of substitutionary atonement. And boy, oh boy, do we need that. Jesus suffered in the place of sinners. We're going to share, and I believe appropriately today, at the communion table, partaking of the bread and of the cup. So in the light of this message, in the light of something that touches each one of our lives in some way, in, 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 in some degree, uh, God does confront us uh, with a message. It's a good news message. And when we suffer with the guilt of, of sexual sin, we do have a choice. If we keep hiding our sin, you can be sure, you will be sure it will destroy you in the end, hurt those around you. But if we repent of our sin, God will have mercy. And again, I'm going to read just now Psalm 51, that Psalm that David wrote after he had come to terms with confessing his sin and coming to God for forgiveness. But I do want to quote uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones makes this point. He says, even adultery is not the unforgivable sin. I want to say that here today. 
It's not the unforgivable sin. It is a terrible sin. Not unforgivable, it's a terrible sin. Different sins have different consequences. But God forbid that there should be anyone who feels that he or she has sinned himself or herself outside of the love of God or outside his kingdom because of adultery. No. No. If you truly repent and realize the enormity of your sin and cast yourself upon the boundless love and mercy and grace of God, you can be forgiven and I assure you of pardon. I couldn't say that better than Martin Lloyd-Jones. He then added a comment. But hear the words of Jesus. Go and sin no more. When Brad contacted me this week and asked me what the theme of the sermon would be, my message back to him was fighting sin. And I may preach another message following on from this one in terms of how we go about fighting the sin. The reason I, I said that to him is because I know that this is a battle that rages on and on. It's not a battle once fought and done. It's not, it's not easy. It won't be easy. But you and I must constantly fight sin. And, and so my closing comment this morning as we come to the table, let us walk, resolve to walk in such a way that you do not get caught in the snare. Resist the devil. Learn that verse. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Lord, as we conclude the message, we do pray that you would indeed equip us to face the struggles that come, Lord, even from within. The onslaught from the outside. The scheming wiles of the devil. Lord, so much seemingly against us. But we remember today, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Help us, Lord, to be those who really lean on you, trusting all that your word reveals in a context where so much is being challenged and distorted. And as we come to your table now, I do pray that it would be a meaningful time for any one of us, for any sin, any indiscretion that we've committed, not only sexually, but in any other way, to just seek your forgiveness. But Lord, also seeking the true kind of repentance that leads us in ways of righteousness, that which is pleasing to you. And so we pray this, Lord, asking for the continued pouring out of your grace to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.